You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and how to create a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 162. Hey guys, as you know, Seventeen Hats was our main sponsor at SageCon 2021. We recommend Seventeen Hats because it was a critical part of our home staging business and free us up from lots of paperwork, admin, and chasing clients with emails. So that we can focus on what we love to do, which is staging. If you're like us, you probably didn't go into the business for the paperwork. You know, all those invoices, emails, reminders, to-dos, and just the incessant chasing after client for paperwork. So that's where Seventeen Hats comes in for us. It's like you cloned yourself. Their all-in-one platform automates your staging business. Seventeen Hats handles the tedious stuff like payment reminders, capturing leads, proposal invoicing, and even scheduling. We actually created a resource guide for you on our site. Just go to sagehomer.com/slash-seventeen-hats and find out more about how we use Seventeen Hats in our home staging business. If you're a current Seventeen Hats user, we would love to hear about your story too. You can submit your Seventeen Hats story on our site at sagehomer.com/slash-seventeen-hats. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show podcast. Just a quick reminder that we're going to be having an open house on next Tuesday, September thirteenth. There's going to be three different online sessions for the open house, and they're free to attend. They're also free to register. If you're interested in joining us, just sign up at stagemore.com/openhouse. There are going to be three different free talks for the day, so I'm really excited about that. This is a new format that we're trying for the open house. The first one is going to be me teaching a session on getting home staging clients. We recently did a poll, and this is basically your number one struggle for those of you who've been starting your home staging business recently or about to start your home staging business. The second session we have is with Kristen Mafili, who has been part of our team for the certification program in the last year. She's going to be sharing her experience in building her home staging company, Philadelphia Design Collective, from the ground up. And her company actually has won Best of Philly in the past few years. So it's become a very successful home staging business. And she actually comes from a real estate background. She is still a real estate broker, and she manages 18 agents under her at Compass Philadelphia. So she's got quite a bit of experience on both sides, not only as a real estate agent but also as a stager as well. And lastly, last but not least, our good friend Bobby McGrath, who you probably are very familiar with at this point, but she's been on the podcast for quite a few times. She owns Successful Staging and also Occupy Staging Specialists, which is a very successful program, and also have been winning awards with Risa Real Estate Staging Association as the product of the year. She and I will be talking about home staging education today, and this time, actually, instead of me interviewing Bobby, the table is turned. She's going to be interviewing me instead, and I'm going to be basically walking into it blind. She's not going to tell me what she's going to be asking, so I think it's going to be super, super fun. So definitely come on down for the open house. I'm really excited to see those of you online as well. You know, there's very few times we get to see people in our community face to face. So free community talk is one thing. SagerCon is one, and then now we're going to start doing open house regularly, and that is going to be really fun as well. 
We are also going to have a couple offers for our courses, specifically for a certification program. There's going to be an early bird for enrollment, so you can save 15% on the certification program. And you also are going to have an offer for our foundation course, Five Fever Floor Plan, as well, if you are not ready for a certification program. Because we have changed the structure where you can essentially upgrade into the certification program. So if you just want to start with a foundation course and see how that goes for you, you can always upgrade later into the certification program. We will be opening enrollment for our multi-month home staging certification program. This time, I had made a few changes after running it for about a year based on the students' feedback and also how they're progressing through the course. And so, yeah, so I think it's going to make the program a bit stronger and more streamlined as well, and also more digestible. Because after all, it's really important for you as a student to put actually whatever you learn in these trainings into practice. That's what I really care about. I really want that practical takeaway, no matter what we do in our company. So whether it's a podcast or free content on Instagram or actual paid courses or workshops, we want to make sure that everyone's taking those classes or absorbing those content. They're getting really practical takeaway that can immediately apply into running their home staging businesses. So we're going to be showing you those new changes as well at the open house this year. So yeah, so I'm excited to see you. Definitely come on by. It's one week away. I cannot believe it. I can't believe how fast the year has gone by, essentially. It feels like yesterday we just launched this program. And it's quite crazy as well, because I know essentially most staging training on the market are either one day or three days, or I think there's one, I think self-study one that's a bit longer. But having a program that's multiple months and multiple coursework with mastermind sessions and group coaching and one-on-one sessions, that is really different. And it does take a very special kind of commitment for potential home staging business owners to come in to really build their home staging business throughout the entire program. So that is really exciting for me to see how far people have come from months one to where they are now at the end of the program. So if you're interested in joining us for the open house and find out more about our courses, just sign up at stagemore.com slash open house. And for today's episode, you might remember Stacey on our podcast a couple of years back. Stacey was also one of our speakers at our very first SagerCon. She's an expert when it comes to referrals and has worked with many real estate professionals in her program. So a little bit about Stacey. Stacey teaches business owners how to generate referrals naturally without manipulating, incentivizing, or even asking. Does it not sound amazing? She has been featured in national publications like Entrepreneur Magazine, Investor Business Daily, Forbes, and more. She received her master's in organizational communication and is married with three kids. All right, so let's start the show. Hi, Stacey. Welcome back to the show. So for our new listeners who are not yet familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Yes. Oh, Cindy, thank you so much for having me back. I'm always excited to hang with you and to be able to talk to your audience. It's always so fun for me. So yeah, for those that maybe didn't hear the first episode when I was on your show, I teach business owners how to generate referrals naturally. And I do that because of this little past experience I had with a business failure and the school of hard knocks of learning how to grow a business 
that not only works, right, in terms of being able to bring in clients, but also in a way that works for me, like something I don't mind waking up and having to do. Because <laughs> there's lots of things when it comes to business and sales and business development and business growth that we're told we need to do. And that most of the time, we'd rather just crawl back in bed and be like, ah, I don't want to do that. That sounds awful. So really, when I, my first business failed and I had to go get a job in corporate America, I was like, how do I get out of here and build a successful second company? And part of that was figuring out how to get more clients. And referrals was a piece I never figured out with my first business, even though it only, almost made it to five years. I still didn't figure it out then. And so I made it a point to figure out for my own purposes, how to make this referral piece happen so I could grow easier. I'm married. I've got three kids. Life is busy. I don't have a ton of time to be spending doing things that A, drain me and B, that take up a lot of time. So I really wanted a way to grow to be successful. I never knew though, Cindy, that what I would create for myself, for my second business to be successful, I would then eventually turn into a company of actually what I teach others, which is of course, generating referrals naturally, which is without manipulation, without incentivizing, and definitely without even having to ask. I love that. I think getting that organically is so important. But before we get into all that, why is building referrals so important, especially for service-based business like ours? Yeah, because trust matters so much, right? When relationships are involved, trust is a huge driver of your business. So people have to trust you, right? When they actually are building a relationship with you and making the decision to choose you and then also to refer you. That's not to say that there aren't other industries out there that can't definitely create their own strategy when it comes to referrals. Of course they can. But when you're a service-based professional and everything is based on those relationships that you're building, trust becomes a huge factor that you cannot overlook, right? If we're looking at it from that perspective, then referrals should be the easiest way for you to grow. It won't be the only way, but it should be the easiest way for you to grow because you can really work that trust, right? Leverage that trust and those relationships to be able to have people refer to you if you know how to do it correctly and not in a way that's like taking advantage of people. That makes sense. And what makes a business referable? Like, what does that mean for a home stager? Yeah. So the easy answer for this is, and I used to always say it like this, there's more to it, but I always think it's important for people to remember, like most people know that people aren't going to refer crappy work, right? I mean, like, that's like, oh yeah, if you don't do great work, of course, no one's going to refer you. But I think what people don't pay attention to is people also don't refer choppy work or choppy client experiences either, So when you think about being referable, it's the ability for how you run your business in a two-part formula. I teach the client experience and specifically a referable client experience is one where the work output that you're doing, right? The work that you're doing, you have processes and procedures and operations and all the things you need to have to make it easier for you to run the business, but it also impacts what the other person is on the receiving end of as your client, right? So there's the work piece to that. And then this is the piece people forget that really helps you be referable. Yes, the work needs to be great, but also the relationship that you're building also needs to be great. And those two components of work and relationship, we call them touch points, but that work touch point and those relationship touch points, they all work together that are building in your clients, right? That idea of trusting you and that there's some level of, wow, I just didn't expect that for my home stager, but makes you to the point where people want to talk about you. 
get you to the point where people want to refer you or they're more inclined to. And so it really is how you take care of your clients, but also how you build a relationship with them, which allows you to ultimately be able to gather those referrals up while somebody's in the client experience. So that referable client experience, it all comes down to the fact that the work you do and the relationship you build and what your processes and procedures and everything looks like inside your business makes it to where somebody wants to refer you. I love that. And I think that client experience is so important, right? Because a lot of times we think, oh, it's like fancy gifts or like, you know, things like that. But what are some of the tangible things that we can really ensure that we improve our client experience all the time? Oh, that's such a good question. Okay. So I teach the client experiences in three phases. Now, not every business has these three phases or three stages, but home stagers definitely do. They have all three. So number one is the client is new. The number two, right, the client is in the active stage and then they're done. They've paid you, their home has sold. Everything's been amazing that you've taken your furniture, your staging right out of their home and then they're done and now they're an alumni client. So you've got your new stage, your active stage and your alumni client stage. They are actually what we call relationship touch points that you should be doing throughout those that are sometimes paired with the work that you're doing and sometimes separate from the work touch points that you're doing that really just kind of build up the, wow, I've never experienced anything like this. And one of my best examples is always what we call the journey card. So this is something I teach in my referable client experience program. And it's usually the simplest thing people implement right away. And they're like, why didn't I think of this? And the journey card, it isn't like, hey, I'm so glad you're a client. Lots of people write the thank you for becoming a client card. Lots of people write that. But people need to understand about the new client stage is that you're trying to set a tone, right, for what the client is thinking. Everything I teach comes from the perspective of what's the other person thinking and responding, because that then should drive what we do, not what we want to do, but what's going to impact them based on where they are in this client stage. So the journey card takes the thank you for being a client card, like and puts it on steroids. And the number one thing you want to do in a journey card for the new client stage is you've got to overcome buyer's remorse. Like it is real. People, when they sign a check and say, yes, they may be excited, but they're also worried. Did I make the right decision? And that buyer's journey for some may be small, for some it may be big, but a journey card allows you to kind of come alongside them. It's a handwritten note, so it doesn't cost you really anything, but just to say, hey, I know the process of selling your home and letting someone come in and change it up so that you can sell it can be a little daunting or can be overwhelming, whatever you think the client is feeling. But just know I'm your co-pilot and you're in excellent hands. So I'm excited that we're going to be working together and I can't wait to help you with this process. The language and the wording gets to be specific to you and how you speak in your business. But the basic concept of a journey card is, is you identify the buyer's remorse piece and then you make sure that you're like, hey, let's overcome that, that buyer's remorse by letting you know, I got you. So it's just a little bit more than thanks for being a client. And it really drills into what they're thinking. That allows them to trust you more and form a tighter relationship with them, which is really important, right? As they're looking to continue working with you. It also allows them to like breathe. Like, okay, Cindy's got me. This is going to be fine. All the things that I'm about to assume that are going to go wrong because I don't know what it's like to be a home stager, right? We all have those clients, right? That just assume you're just bringing in some furniture. Like, how hard is this? That's not what this is, Right. But we assume things are easier for the people we hire. This is just kind of level setting out that like, hey, I've got you. Trust the process, right? We'll deal with everything together. 
It allows them to overcome buyer's remorse. A note and a card like that puts them in a position to feel differently about you. And the minute your client can feel differently about you, feel trusted, feel supported, feel heard, you really have the opportunity for them to be able to start thinking about you differently, right? So if I feel different about you, I think different about you, and then I speak different about you. And it's through that process, that client experience that you really want to make sure that's what the emotions that you're evoking from your clients, because that ultimately what leads people who you never would have thought to refer you to ultimately refer you when the situation or the opportunity arises. Yeah. And I think that touch point is very important. Is there an average number of touch point we should have? Because obviously you don't want to be too overwhelming, right? Like you're essentially <laughs> hovering, but you right. also don't want to be too little at all where it feels like, great, you got my money and I don't hear from you until you need more money or you need to do whatever. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there is a balance between being like clingy stalkerish, right? And then like, where'd she go? Right. I mean, I think that there is, there's a balance there. When I work with clients in referable client experience, when they're going through that, I always tell them the first thing you have to do is map out what you're doing now. Because the best thing I can do when I'm helping a business owner decide to change up their client experience is work with what they have. Because if we can work with what you have, let's be honest, there's just a better chance you'll take the time to actually implement it. It's one thing you can have the most beautiful client experience ever written down on a piece of paper. Who cares if you don't actually implement any of it? So a lot of times we look at what you're doing now, and then we try to infuse like some specific things like the journey card and the new stage and like a celebration, right? Some type of celebration touch point at the end when they move into the alumni stage. But we do kind of infuse things within that client experience. So the, whereas there isn't like a, you've got to have X number of touch points, I do think you should have 20 to 30% of all touch points to your clients should be relationship-based, whereas the other 70 to 80% will be work-based. But two of the strategies that I teach is that, Sometimes your relationship touch point can be done with a work touch point, which makes it really easy. It's not something additional you have to do. You're just changing up how you do something and making it a little bit better. And then some are more date-based, based on the calendar or their client experience. So it's just, I'm executing on the same thing at this point in the process throughout my client experience. No, I love that. And I think one of the things for most people, I think, especially with creative people who are not very organizational minded, is they feel overwhelmed. So what would you suggest so that they're not dropping the ball? Or I think one of the things that is challenging too with client experience is like, what if we drop the ball somewhere and piss off the client, right? And how do we come back from that? So I like to refer to that as customer service which is a part of your client experience. And knowing how to fix something when it hasn't gone according to plan is really important, right? And figuring out, like most people just put their head in the ground. They're like an ostrich and they're like, let me stick my head in the sand and pretend like they can't see me, right? They're playing possum. If they can't see me, they can't know that something is wrong or that I have to then address it. I think your ability to deal with problems when they come up and to be open and honest about them right away is important. So knowing how to respond to things that don't go according to plan is really important. And I think we get better at that, unfortunately, as things don't go according to plan. But the piece that people miss that can help that from happening is because a lot of times when the client may be mad at you, it's because the client forgot what was going to happen or forgot that some things are out of your control. 
And that now you're dealing with expectations that the client has that they shouldn't have, that they have no business having. I do a lot of work also, and this is one of my favorite examples with interior designers. And I'm like, things don't always come in on time. Things are back ordered. You don't control that. If you haven't explained that to your client in advance of the fact that now we're in a backordered situation, that is on you because you should have been setting that expectation from the very beginning. I teach this one process called the expectation map, which is like having a visual that you show your clients of exactly what it's going to look like to work with you, highlighting the places on that map where when they don't respond to you and get things you need, it delays the process or here are the things that are outside of our control, right? And so you don't control as a home stager how long the house is going to be on the market. Nobody does. Nobody controls that. So like those are those kind of conversations you have to keep having with your clients. And I think the more you have that in the buyer's journey phase and in the new client stage, the easier it is to deal with the, this didn't go according to plan. So I think there's like a two-pronged approach here, how you're going to respond when it happens, but what are you doing in advance to alleviate those things from happening as well. Love that. And in the previous episode, we talk about guiding our referral source, right? Remember like my cousin who knows I do staging, but didn't really know exactly what I do in staging. So he always sent me the wrong client. So what exactly (laughs) makes it a high quality referral? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because referral sources can be clients of yours. It can be centers of influence, right? People who like real estate agents are big centers of influence referral sources for home stagers, but it can also be like your family and your friends. And so there's different types of folks that are going to refer to you. And I think it's important for your referral sources to understand who your ideal client is. I just have a completely different tactic to how we get them to understand that. I think stories are the best way to get someone to actually remember what you do. I also think that trying to tell a bunch of stories in one conversation, we remember none of them because unfortunately, human race, we're just a tad lazy. And so we pick one thing to remember about somebody and then that's just what we stick with because it's easy for our brain to be like, oh, I remember that one thing and that's it. Not the 13 things maybe they told me that were amazing. And so I always tell folks first, it's never about changing the type of quality of a referred prospect that your referral sources are sending to you when they send you like one non-quality referred client, right? Like that's going to happen. If someone's sending you good quality and here or there's a not great quality, let it go because you're getting good quality referrals from them. But if you have somebody who is consistently sending you clients that are not your ideal, not that you can help. It is important to have a conversation with that referral source about it, but what you have to do in that conversation and what's really important that you're paying attention to is you can't make them defensive. So you have to make sure they understand that you're disappointed that you couldn't help that person, but here's why. And you also have to make sure you're not throwing the person, the client that wasn't a fit under the bus, right? It's like the financial advisor that's like, thanks for referring me people, but I need people with money. None of your people have money. Like you would never say that. But there is a way, and I always tell folks, having this conversation with referral sources makes most people nervous. And then in one of my programs, it's actually a group coaching program. I make people role play it with me. I say, write it out because we have a script that we teach our clients. I'm like, write it out and then come to one of our weekly sessions and let's role play it together before they go have it. But that's the best advice I can give to somebody else is write it down what you want to say, making sure you're telling them that you're disappointed, right? You didn't get to help this person. And then making sure they understand who the clients are that you can help. And you're doing it from a 
I want you to know this because I don't ever want to turn anyone down that you send to me. It's not like a, you don't send me good people. Like we would never say that. We make it about us and that keeps their defenses low. But definitely before you have a conversation with someone, make sure there's a pattern that they haven't been sending you great referral sources or great referred clients, right? There's a pattern here, not just one, right? And of course, write out what you're going to say before you have that conversation with them. And it's really important that we don't talk about training the referral sources, right? But really guiding them to come to their own conclusions about the work that you do. Some will get it, some won't. And that is a little bit about how it works because we're dealing with humans here, not robots who can be programmed to do exactly what we want them to do. I love that. A little bit remind me of Inception, the movie. <laughs> You're planting the seed essentially and helping them get to their own conclusion. <laughs> it's that idea that you want them so desperately to like totally get what you're saying, but at the same time, you're trying to be respectful of the fact that they really do have to think about this themselves to be able to take the action later on when you're not there. So I always tell folks, some will get it and some won't, and you're going to have to move on. I also tell folks, don't ever have this conversation. We call it the quality script conversation. Don't ever have the quality script conversation with someone where you feel like telling them this will stop them from referring you. The good people they do refer really use it judiciously in terms of who you want to use it with. Because I'll take a few bad referrals if they're mixed in with some really great client referrals too. That's a great point. I think that reframe is so important. So it's not like blaming in a way like, oh, you don't know who to send me, but it's actually like, I've actually really loved to help your friends, but this is the XYZ service I actually do. Right. And I think one of the fascinating things about your program now, because I know you have a new free training about the science behind referrals. So what exactly is the science behind getting referrals naturally? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked about that because I think when people hear, wait, Stacy says, don't ask for referrals. Stacy says, don't take advantage of reciprocity and use manipulation. Stacy says, don't pay for referrals. Stacy says, you don't have to network every night of the week to know a ton of people. Like Stacy's telling us all these things we don't have to do. And then she's telling us, you've got to build the right referral plan, right? To take care of your referral sources or to cultivate new referral sources. And it follows this plan, right? That I teach about what that outreach to your referral sources, existing or potential, ultimately looks like. I think somewhere between the don't do this, don't ask for referrals and do this, what people miss is the fact that everything I teach is based on the science behind why referrals happen in the first place. So kind of high level because I do have a free 20 minute training that folks can download from my website and be able to watch it and that it will go into better detail. But kind of high level is thinking about what's triggering in someone's brain when they're actually referring you, right? That whole idea that we're triggering what's, you know, it's called the, the happiness trifecta. It's the feel good chemicals in our brain that are triggered when we get to go help someone or be a hero by like, oh, I know how to help you solve your problem. You've got to go join Cindy's program. It's amazing. She'll teach you how to build the best home staging business in the world, right? So it's that I'm helping and it's triggering what we call that. I mean, it's what scientists call. It's not what I call. It's what scientists call the, the happiness trifecta. So there's a component of like things happening in your brain right? And then there's this piece of psychology, the psychology of trust, the psychology of your social networks, and what that ultimately looks like from your business perspective of your referral sources and the relationship that you have with them. And that is a lot based on the science with the psychology piece. 
And then there's this third component of behavioral economics. And that is understanding how people behave in certain situations and what triggers them to do something or what keeps them from doing something. And I think all the old advice, that traditional old school advice, like ask for referrals, completely ignores the behavioral economics of what is actually being triggered in someone's behavior when they refer or when they're totally turned off from referring you. So we take all of those pieces, right? And we look at that and I reverse engineered into that to how I build the strategy, the referral plan that I then teach my clients to build. It's the what we do, the how we say it, the who we do it for. Everything is based on this scientific perspective of what's actually happening when a referral is actually happening. And so that's what makes it totally different. And I think when people understand the science behind it, and I know I just gave like the 30,000 foot view high level, we dig in a little bit more to it in that free training. But I think it's really important that people understand that this isn't like hope it'll happen. That's not the strategy either. It's really looking at when referrals are happening and what you control when referrals are happening for your business and what you don't control. And then having a plan of action to do the things you need to do to generate referrals. I think the surprising thing about this conversation is that you can actually control your referrals. I think most people feel that referral have to kind of happen organically. Like it has to happen when oh, the client's like, oh, Cindy does great staging work. So I will refer Cindy every time. But actually, I think most clients forget. It's not like they don't like you. It's not personal at all. They simply don't remember a stager on top of their head to refer. And so I'm really fascinated about the science piece. So does referral change our mind and brain when we make a referral? How does that impact our psychology? So we feel good when we refer someone, but it's not about growing Cindy's business. That's not actually what makes us feel good, right? So let's use us as an example. Looking at it from that perspective, have I referred people to you to do home staging for them? I feel like, yay, I'm helping Cindy, but that's not where I'm triggered. <laughs> that's not why I'm doing it. Unfortunately, Cindy, you can attest to this is the way everybody else can. I didn't wake up today and think to myself, how can I grow Cindy's business today? That would be amazing if I had and what a good person I would be. But let's be honest, we all wake up and we're like, how am I going to grow my business? We're focused on ourselves. So when I refer you, it's really not about you. And I know that's hard to hear for people, but what it's about is the fact that I have somebody who really needs to sell their home and it really needs to be staged. And I think to myself, wait, I know how to solve your problem. You've got to hire Cindy. And in that moment, what I'm doing is I'm helping the person who has a problem. And the benefit is I also get to be the hero by telling them the perfect person for them to hire. And so from the business perspective, right? So from your perspective, what you control in that situation and how you want me thinking about you and kind of get into the brain and the science and the, the psychology and the behavioral economics piece to that is, is you want to make sure that we have a relationship to where I'm always thinking about you. But that doesn't mean that relationship is based on us communicating every 30 days. In fact, you reach out to me every 30 days, I'm going to be like, what is your problem? Right? Because I'm busy and I got stuff going on. It's the same thing with when we reach out and take care of our referral sources, right? We've got to have a strategy that kind of operates behind the scenes of how we're, we're making sure that we're top of mind. We're not keeping in touch. We're staying top of mind by doing things that are memorable and meaningful, and of course, we're using what we call our secret sauce, which is the referral seed language, 
so that not only are we showing gratitude for the referrals you've sent, we're also planting the seed for more referrals without it ever feeling like we're telling you to give us referrals. It really comes from a place of honoring and respecting you as my referral source. And when that happens, we build this next level type of relationship where you're thinking about me, right, to refer to me or vice versa, where I'm thinking about you to refer to you. But most people, when they go through the steps to identify who their referral sources are, they look at the list of names of people who've referred them over the last two, three, four years. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've ignored these people and haven't talked to this person in 12 months or nine months or 18 months. That person's not gonna continue to refer you, right, if they don't have the relationship with you. But the other piece to that is opportunity. They also need to be in a place of opportunity to refer you, which means who you're focused on building this referral plan for. It's really important that it's focused on the people who are actually going to come across ideal clients to refer to you. So here's the thing, Cindy, you probably would never need to put your cousin in your referral plan because he's your cousin, probably going to refer you good or bad, right? We'll see, but probably going to refer you no matter what, because you're the, like the home stager that he knows, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that he would be in your referral plan because he's family and he will refer you. What I'm more interested in is the people who come across your ideal client, right? Are those really connected clients, making sure that we have a referral plan for them so they continue to refer you. That makes sense. And you mentioned referral plan. What exactly is it? And then how does it normally look like? Yeah, so I always tell folks, there's some foundational principles in a referral plan that are the same for everybody. And then there's a piece of it that's highly customized. So when you think about your referral plan, this is the outreach that you're going to do to your referral sources. So you have to first identify who's been referring you, right? So this isn't people you want to refer you. The referral plan is specific for people who are referring you. And so once you identify who's actually been referring you, then you're going to look at who these people are and you're going to start looking for commonalities. You're going to start looking for the things that you could do that would matter to them. But when we build out our referral plan, it's four to eight touch points in a year. Most people fall in the five to six, maybe seven touch point range. But this is not, hey, I have 20 referral sources times five touch points. And now I'm doing 100 touch points in a year. That is not what this is. This is five touch points that happen for the group of 20 five times. So this isn't buying a bunch of expensive gifts. This isn't throwing a bunch of events. This isn't taking everybody to coffee five times in a year or six times in a year, right? Like variety is the spice of life. And it's a big part of the science piece behind how the referral plan works. But it is about who are you doing it for? What are you doing? What are you comfortable doing? What is it that your referral sources need? And then, of course, making sure you're using the right language. So when I tell folks five or six times a year for outreach is not daily or weekly or monthly, but it is making sure that when it's time to do a touch point, you do it because you may not have another one for two months, right? And so it's looking at what that looks like in a year for how you're going to connect with your referral sources. But the how you do connecting is really, really indicative on who you're doing it for. So here's where the customized piece comes in. Yeah, there's a few things that I teach my clients that everybody does the same because we've proven over 10 years that they work. So like, hey, everybody's going to do these because they work. But then there's this, okay, but you've got these other touch points. You've got to figure out what you want to do. And we give our clients like tons of ideas and all that kind of stuff that they can think through and see sample plans of other business owners. But the reality of it is, is there's a customized piece to it because what a home stager would potentially do would probably be different than what a financial advisor would do, 
right? It would look different. It would feel different. And so there's pieces to it that are customized, but most people are always like the, what should I do? And I'm always like, it's not the right first question. The right first question is who are you doing it for? Because the advice I would give you, if your referral sources were all, for whatever reason, real estate agents in their twenties would look entirely different if your referral sources were stay-at-home moms and dads in their 40s and 50s. What they need is vastly different and how you're going to connect with them could possibly look vastly different. It may not, but until you know who you're doing it for, that does guide a little bit about, okay, what the heck are you going to do? And then understanding that we're not just doing outreach to do outreach. There's a language piece that goes into this as well that allows us to kind of make sure that we're making that referral impression by our gratitude and our thankfulness, right, for the referrals they're sending, but making sure those pieces are connecting together so there's an impact. And here's how I describe it. Your referral plan, those touch points, they're there to impact how your referral source feels about you. I want them to feel cared for. I want them to feel seen. I want them to feel like they're not forgotten and you don't go nine months without talking to them, right? So I want them to feel cared for because if I can impact how your referral source feels about you, they feel cared for by you, they feel like they're important to you, they matter to you, then we can use the language, the referral seed language to direct how they think about you. And that's a really important piece that I think sometimes people miss. This isn't about throwing a bunch of client appreciation events. Right. This isn't about making sure you're texting everybody every 32 days. Hey, how are you? Like, that's not what this is about. This is not about your e newsletter. It's great. Have it in your marketing plan. It's not a part of your referral plan. But this is about understanding who are the people and how do we impact them. That gives us then the opportunity to really direct how they think about us from that referral perspective. And so it's again, like we said, it's all based on that science or whatever, but it's a pretty simple plan to execute on once you have it built. But it all is driven by. Who's referring you now so that that's your business's low-hanging fruit is to get more referrals from them before you layer on some of our other foundational strategies. So the referral plan for existing referral sources is one of our three foundational strategies we always teach. And it's where everybody should start if they have referral sources because your ability to take better care of your referral sources, your existing referral sources, typically means more referrals from them when you're executing on that plan. That's very true. And are your referral sources always past clients or they can be essentially industry influencers, anyone you come across? So I wouldn't say it's anyone you come across, but it's definitely in these four categories or types. It is clients, previous and current. They definitely can be referral sources, but it's also centers of influence, which are people who know what you do. They don't do what you do. So there's no competitive overlap, but also they come across your ideal client with some level of regularity. So for the home stagers that are in my program, like they all recognize real estate agents are our key as a referral source. And I even tell them, even if the real estate agent is paying for the consultation for the client, still count them as a referral source because they are bringing you into that client relationship. And it's still the client more than likely that's going to, even after the consultation has been paid for, that's going to actually pay you to do the staging or to give your recommendations for how to DIY their own staging needs, Right. So those real estate agents are going to be your referral sources. But then it can also be family and friends, right, as well. I mean, there's different types of folks who can refer you, but it's not everybody you know, right? If I never hang out in groups where I ever know anybody that's moving that ever needs a stager, just because we know each other doesn't actually mean I'll ever refer anyone to you. I think home staging is also highly localized, right? Unless you're doing some of the virtual online home staging plans, I think it's highly localized. So I think understanding like who are the people that I want to get referrals from 
Some of those will be clients, but more than likely you'll focus on specific COIs that could ultimately refer you because they come across volume of people to be able to refer you. Yeah. And you never know where they come from. We have a student who's the biggest referral source for her is her hairdresser because apparently she cuts a lot of real estate agents hair and they yes. stuck in the chair. They talk about something usually with real estate agents. They always like to talk about real estate. So <laughs> they do. They love their real estate, which is good. That's what makes them so great. Right. Yeah. And in your opinion, can referral replace other forms of marketing completely? I mean, it certainly can, but nobody starts there. So, you know, my goal is when I work with anybody is to make referrals the biggest area of how you're bringing in new clients. I want referrals to be like, hey, if you brought in 100 clients in a year, I want at least more than 50 of them to come by referral. But it doesn't mean you won't have other methods of prospecting and marketing, right, for sales that will ultimately grow your business. I think that's important to remember. But absolutely, I don't do any networking anymore. I used to, I, oh my gosh, I used to do so much of it. But now as my business has grown by referrals and some other couple of key strategies I use, I figured out how to double down and lean into those to have those work for me, which has allowed me to stop doing other things. But even myself, right? Whereas I get, I get using my best clients by referrals and I get some of the most clients by referrals. At the end of the day, it's not the only way I bring in clients. Like just like I have some home stagers in my program that I know have specifically heard me on your podcast and then they land in my world. Right. And so from that regards, there are other mechanisms, right. Other ways that I use, but ultimately I want referrals to be the biggest piece of your pie. It just probably won't start that way until you have a plan and some strategies in place. Yeah. And I also, I think the lengths you have been the business as well. Like my aunt is a real estate agent. She's been doing it for 40 years. So at this point, she doesn't even have a website. It's just purely referral from old clients. And that's enough volume for her for the year. You said perfect word there, volume. Like, what are your expectations? Not homestagers specifically, but I work with some folks that are like, I need like 12 referrals a year. I'm like, wouldn't that be great if I only needed like 12 referrals a year and I could build the business I wanted? But some people are like, oh, I need a hundred, right? And some people who have a really low closing ratio for referrals, a lot of times they're like, I need more referrals. And I'm like, what if we actually just closed more of the referrals you're already receiving by some of our other situational strategies that I teach instead of trying to just go get more referrals. Sometimes there are actually things you need to do to fix when the referral arrives, how you get them to a yes before you focus on just generating a ton more referrals. That's right. And so are there other strategies that will make referrals even easier or more powerful and work more effectively? Yeah. So we teach this thing, it's called building a referrable business. And we have it as like a roadmap. It's more like a flow chart, but we call it the roadmap. It, what it does is it walks you through your starting point of the foundational strategies. And there's three, three foundational strategies. Once those are in place, then you move on to what we call situational referral strategies. Some are focused on the referral source and some are focused on prospects and some are just focused on like general networking, social media and things like that. Then you can move on to the third level or layer, which is the next level. And that is like, really in terms of your business model is changing. And now you need to figure out how to communicate with your referral sources about the major business model changes you're going through. So there's some like next level, high level strategies we teach as well. There's 18 total for now, right? I mean, as soon as we figure out something else that works, we add it in to this roadmap. 
But the three foundational is where anyone needs to start. We've talked about two of them. One is a referable client experience. The second is how to get more referrals from your existing referral sources. And that's building out that referral plan. And then the third piece is potential referral sources. How do you turn those clients and contacts into referral sources? So they give you that first referral, and then you can continue to nurture them as an existing referral source. Those are the three strategies I want you to have in place and I want you to implement on. I want that referable client experience to just operate in the background because it's part of your processes and procedures with your clients, right? Your existing referral source, I want you to identify them and then build out a 12-month plan. And when the plan says it's time to execute, you're executing on it while you're thanking them for the referrals they're sending you. And then the potential referral source plan is you're identifying people you want to refer you. It's a little bit more involved, but then you're actually doing the work to cultivate them into a referral source. That one you can start and stop only when you need more referral sources. But those are the three strategies. I'm like, you got to have these in place. And then as you move forward, you can move into situational strategies can be like the metrics. It can be specific to getting referrals from testimonials. It can be specific to social media engagement, seed planting. What do you do in networking events? And so it's different things like that that you can use about when you get word of mouth buzz or an introduction, how do you flip that into a referral? They're just these situational moments that you find yourself in that I want you to know how to, as best you can, generate the referrals from those moments. There's like 15 of those, or maybe it's 13 of those. And then you've got your next level strategies. Love that. And if we are new to business, we have basically zero referral resource. What can we do to get more referrals? Yeah. So that really starts out with the potential referral source strategy. And I have an article on my website. I believe the link is stacybrownrandall.com forward slash referral sources. And it walks you through the four steps you need to do to start identifying referral sources, figuring out who should be referring you, who you want to refer you, and then kind of starts giving you that overview of the cultivation process. But it all starts from identification of who do you want referring you and who should be referring you, and then following a process to cultivate someone to refer you. Because remember, trust is the leading indicator that somebody will refer you in addition to the relationship they have with you. So someone who's a stranger to you isn't going to trust you because they've met you once, right? So there's a process behind what that looks like. And even somebody who's known you for 20 years, but never referred you, they're not just going to automatically think to refer you just because you took them to coffee. There's a way to have that conversation, but it's really important in that conversation. You don't directly ask, you don't even imply. We have really refined the language piece of what we teach so that it flows in normal, natural, what we call easy breezy conversation but it's actually working to kind of plant the idea of referrals in the referral sources or potential referral sources mind. But then you have to continue the follow-up until they give you that first referral. Some will, some won't. The ones that do, you then of course can move them to your referral plan that you do for your existing referral sources. Because once they've referred you once, they're now an existing referral source and we need to cultivate more referrals from them. Love that. And are there language that you recommend we use to really plant that seed for referrals? Yeah, so the type of language that we use is really situational based. So the language you're going to use in a touch point with one of those five, six or seven touch points with your existing referral source will look different than the language you use, right? When somebody says, hey, Cindy, how's business? At like a networking event. So there's different types of language that we tell folks to use. But chapter 10 of my book, Generating Business Referrals Without Asking. I do give a good overview of this language piece and then some specific examples of what it looks like to use it. 
But really the idea for the referral seeds, the idea of making sure that people either know your business is growing by referrals, that's a great way to kind of answer the house business question, which is another one we talk about in the book. But it's like when people say house business, the worst thing you can say to them is I'm busy. Oh, it's good. It's busy. Because all that tells me is you're busy. So I'm like, okay, I don't remember anything from that. And I don't really think you can probably take more business. But if you said something more specifically to like, oh my gosh, Cindy, thank you so much for asking. Business is really, really good. Actually, I just onboarded a few new people into my group coaching experience, building a referable business. And it's really funny. Each of those new students or new clients that were referred that just started with me were referred to me, which is really, really awesome. Changing up your answer in that situational moment helps you figure out how to answer a question like how's business. But there's language we teach our clients on like, what you say when you're writing a thank you card, what you're doing when you're having a conversation with a potential referral source, what that quality conversation looks like. There's language for all of it. What I will tell you is it all sounds like something you're going to be comfortable saying because that's what I believe actually works. None of these like, we're not going to use complicated things. We're not going to use hard things. And I'm not interested in making you uncomfortable because if my language that I teach you makes you uncomfortable, you're done, right? You're not going to do it. And I need you to say it. So we work really, really hard on making sure that the language we teach our clients will work for them and they'll be comfortable and confident in saying it. But the book does have some more examples other than that house business example I just gave. Yeah, I think scripts is a really good tool because it helps you make sure you are getting whatever you want to say across, but you can have time to polish it and you can also learn it. So you don't sound like a robot when you deliver (laughs) the script, I think, which is the most crucial point because we all used to get these credit card APR calls where you can just tell sometimes they're deviating off scripts and they got really nervous and they go back to the beginning again. And that is a really awful way to be sold to. Oh, it's terrible. There's a formula behind the referral seed that we actually teach folks. We teach the formula because for you to become a referral ninja master, in my mind, I need you to know how to say the things in the moment that they need to be said and not sitting there thinking, did I learn this script from Stacey? Because then all of a sudden you've become awkward, right? Like we teach the formula of how I build all my language, right? Everything that I help my clients with, we teach the formula first. This is how you do it. This is the four parts to it. And then we start giving the examples and the scripts that they can just, you know, use for themselves, but they recognize, oh, I can figure this out. I've got the formula. I've got examples. Now I can figure out what I want to say when I need to say something. And that is really what makes you somebody that's not reliant on that awkward script, right? That you really have what you need inside your own brain to be able to make this work for you, which just grows your confidence. Yeah. And also, I think we touch on this throughout the episode, but I think in general, people always thought, well, like getting referral is a very passive experience, but you can actually be more proactive in getting new business, like starting your own networking group. And I actually did this early on when I started my staging company because I didn't know anyone, you know, in the area. And I know you recently talked about this on your podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about why this strategy really works? Yeah, I don't know the episode number. I should probably off the top of my head. It was a couple of months ago and it was called Building Your Own Networking Group. I had somebody reach out and they were like, hey, we want to build a networking group. Will you train us or teach us on how best to do it? And I was like, that is a little outside of what I do. But here are the things that I know that work within a networking group if you want to be able to generate referrals from them. And one of the things is, is making sure you're identifying the right people 
who are in the room and not just the right people for you, right? It's okay if you've got a group of 12 or 15 people and four or five of them are ideal for you, but the other ones are ideal for the other members. It makes it a really good, healthy group. There's nothing worse than being in a group where you can give referrals all day long. There's nobody in that group that can give them to you, right? And so it's important that you identify who the people are. And then once you've identified who the people are, then you're starting to pay attention to how are we building relationships? Because we have to get to a place of trust for them to start referring. And so it's looking at, okay, how best do we build relationships? I'm a big believer in one-on-ones. I think there's not a better way to get to know people than actually having a one-on-one conversation with them. But then also making sure that the way everything works for you aligns in a way that the group, from like how often it meets, what you guys do, and then put some components in there that are above business, that are above just the, hey, we're going to try to refer each other. But think about things you can do to better your community. Think about things you can do to better the business community, right? Whether that's community events or a speaker series or things that really make this group come together and work together for the benefit of others also kind of helps move that group along and to getting to the place where, hey, these are my people and we do stuff together and we help each other with referrals too. Yeah. And I think it really comes from that place of service, right? It's not necessarily about, you're really here for me to sell more and more and more of my staging jobs, but actually is how can we help each other? How can I elevate your real estate business? How can we help each other type of thing? Yeah. And I think people forget that when I refer you, remember, it's not about you. It's about me helping somebody else, but wow. And I really love to refer you if I know you've got my back too. And that doesn't mean you can always refer back to me. Some people can't, right? I have lots of people who refer to me that I will never be able to refer to all the people that refer to me, but they do know, right? Because I have a referral plan. And once you refer to me, like my ability to take care of you ultimately kicks in and you know that I care about you, even if it's how I'm showing my care isn't by sending you referrals, but maybe it's by my referral plan and those five to six or seven touch points that I'm executing on throughout the year. Love that. So we're coming up to the end of our show. What would be your number one tip that you give to a home stager when it comes to building their referrals? Okay. So the number one thing you can do, we've kind of talked about it, but it's so, so very critical. It's identifying who refers you now. That's your starting point. It's your starting point to know what of my strategies you would want to implement. It's the starting point of understanding where your gratitude to come into place is looking at who has been referring you. So if you go back and you pull out your list of your clients and your prospects and you identify how they became a prospect or how they became a client, were they referred to you or did they come through a Facebook ad or something different, right? But those that were referred to you, get the name of the referral source. That creates your master list of your referral sources. And then everything changes from that moment. I've had people who do this are like, whoa, this was empowering. Whether there's four people on your list or 44 people on your list, it's empowering to know the people that trust you to refer to you. And then decide, I've got a lot of referral sources. Let me build a plan to get more referrals from them. Or if you have less than five people referring you, you probably need to cultivate more referral sources before you go through the path, down the path of putting in a referral plan. But identify who's referring you. That is the key. That is number one. That is where you start. Because once you see who those people are, then you can decide what you're going to do next in terms of how you're going to take care of them or if you need more of them. Love that. Thank you so much for being on the show. That was truly amazing. Yeah, thanks so much. And I know you'll put it in the show notes page, the link to that free training if anyone wants to check it out, but it's stacybrownrandall.com forward slash roadmap. And that'll be that science behind generating referrals naturally, that free 20 minute training. Perfect. Thank you so much. 
So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com/podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.